Well, we're going to look at another psalm today. And uh, if you want to open your Bibles, what I'm going to read to you is why Psalm 22, Psalm 51, and Psalm 91 rank very high at the level of psalms. Now, they're not alone, those three. Of course, we did Psalm 22 a couple weeks ago, Psalm 51 last week. This is Psalm 91. Years ago, this would only matter to people who've been here for a long time, Mary Eaton was going through a horrendous battle with ovarian cancer, and uh, what a remarkable person. Um, kind of like carved out of the same mold as Linda Rogers, just would do anything for anybody. She brought me a plaque with this psalm, the entire psalm on it, because it became her hope. She anchored herself in that psalm, and that's where she drew strength. She was uh, put into an experimental treatment in Birmingham. I think there was five or six uh, ladies battling ovarian cancer, and they had to sign a waiver that the, the treatment was of, of such a nature that they could die from the treatment. Two of them um, died from the treatment, as I recall. A couple of them had to stop. She was the only one out of the whole group that made it all the way through. And that just kind of went not just maybe her, her body, but it, her, her spirit was such a tenacious one to hold on faith and hold on to the promises of God. Um, I doubt when you read the 16 verses here uh, with me in just a moment, we're going we're to put it up on the screen. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, you don't have your Bible with you or uh, you don't have an app to look at. I want you to see the words as we read this because I'm going to read it straight through without commenting. I know that's hard for preachers to do uh, because the see Alliance says, oh, I just want to comment on that. But I doubt if you'll find any psalm that has 16 continuous verses that stay at a sustained level. It not only starts great, but it just main, maintains this elevated place. Even C.H. Spurgeon said that. This is a sustained elevation of, of truth all the way through it. And you know how something starts is really how it should finish, right? You know, you start off kind of slow and build up, but this starts off. It's kind of like, it reminds me of the song, How Great Thou Art. And those who know that song and know about music, if, if you started off like this, Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars. Or is anybody getting nervous here? <laughs> You're getting nervous, aren't you? Because you don't want me to get to then sings my soul because, you know, sometimes you can't enjoy someone starting things that, oh, they're out of key. They're in the wrong key. This is not going <laughs> to... Well, this is kind of like Sandy Patty singing it, not me. That you can start at the highest level and stay there. And this is what this psalm does. So I want you to just try to look at it as we read it word for word. I'm going to read it out of the NIV. And uh, you might have something different, but it's basically going to give you these same truths. So here we go. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, 
He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will sustain him and show him my salvation. Can you find any statement in there that's not uplifting? What an amazing psalm, Psalm 91. Now, I put titles to the other messages that I've preached on psalms. I'm having trouble finding a single word. I'm going to give you a word that I finally come up with, but this is a song of, you know, I'm just like, there's so many words that can fit, right? But as you can see, it does not come, if you've got your Bible, you can see that it does not come with the title at the the top of it. It it doesn't carry a title, it doesn't carry an occasion, or some of the, like Psalm 51 or Psalm 22. Both of them have a title, not only uh, about who wrote it, but the occasion that provoked it being written. The Psalms that do not carry a title, here's what the Jewish uh, scholars would come to the conclusion that when there were psalms that did not have a title, then they would go to the preceding psalms, the closest one, and find out if, they, if that title was there, then that particular person probably wrote the next psalms without a title. You don't have to look very far, do you? Who does the previous psalm say written? A prayer of Moses. So it could be that Moses authored this, and it really begins to make sense when you go through it that if Moses, even if Moses or David or someone else had written the psalm, you couldn't really improve upon it, could you? This declaration. Here's what um, I think, you know, C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters, I've, I've sat down at times and written what I would think would be a screwtape letter, not to his level. But if two demons were strategizing against you and Screw Tape was writing to his nephew Wormwood, he would say something like this Keep your subject away from Psalm 91. <laughs> Do not let them pay much attention to that because if they discover that, you're in big trouble. Now, you have to know what Screw Tape letters are all about for that to make any sense because the assurances start pouring in. 
starting with verse 3. Look at it again. Surely he will save you from the fowler snare and from the deadly pestilence or plague, disease. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. Think about this. Moses knew the trickery of Pharaoh as the uh, uh, fowler snare. He knew that Pharaoh's design was to keep the people of Israel in a slavery mentality. And he got to witness the trap of slavery being broken off the people of Israel. And he got to also witness the deadly pestilence that invaded the diseases, the plagues, 10 plagues in total that invaded Egypt. But what was about Israel? Israel had God's covering. His wings were over Israel. And whatever came on the Egyptians, they were protected from those plagues and from those diseases. He would see up close and personal how those plagues destroyed the pagan nation of Egypt, provided protection, though, for Israel. Verse 5, you will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You see, Moses not only saw the power of God in Egypt, but he saw the power and presence of God on their way to the promised land, did he not? And there was trouble, trouble on the way to the promised land. If you think about it, there were plagues that came to the people of Israel. When they, when they dove into idolatry, worship, idol worship, made the golden calf, there were people that lost their lives. When there was rampant disobedience and rejection of Moses' leadership and the people rebelled against God, poisonous snakes infiltrated the camp and there was this mass death of people because they were disobeying God. Moses got to see not just in Egypt, but that God made a distinction even within the nation of Israel. That those who were rejecting the authority of God were subject to the same destruction that the Egyptians were subject to. He would witness the death of Hebrews in that disobedience. And this wasn't Egypt. This wasn't really supposed to happen. This was not supposed to happen in Israel. Israel was supposed to be the promised people of God. They were not supposed to have these terrible things happen. And yet, I think it makes sense to see what, that Moses could write this without any hesitation, to see a 1,000 fall here and a 10,000 fall over there, all because it was God's judgment against, that's verse 8, it was God's judgment against the wicked. Israel had people within it that were not the people of God. They might have had the same ethnicity, but they didn't have the same heart. They didn't have the same spirit. They did not respond to God as the living God. In fact, some of them even came to the conclusion it'd be better for them to go back. They even said, we want to go back. At least we had something to eat. They wanted to go back into slavery because their belly was their God. They didn't even enjoy the liberty, the miraculous liberty that God brought them. That's something that we ought to pay attention to. What was the distinction, though? What separated 
these groups. Verse 8. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. Moses witnessed that. But if you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the Most High your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent. He says you might be in the same geography of seeing the the catastrophic things happen, but it won't come to you personally. This is what he said in your tent. It may be on the outskirts of where you're at, but it won't come there to where you are. And we're getting a little closer here. The punishment of the wicked, the same maladies. But if you say the Lord is my refuge, you make the most higher dwelling. That's a qualifying factor. This is an if. This is a condition. If you say the Lord is my refuge, it's not like it's just going to happen. But if you say the Lord is my refuge, no disaster will come near your tent. We're moving right along here. This is the same psalm. It's continuing how it's sustained. I don't know. It's at a high pitch. And we might start voicing, our voice starts squeaking, and we might have to go to falsetto, but just stay here with me. Because now you see the resources of heaven in your corner. Listen to what he writes next. For he will command his angels concerning you. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. I'll take that. To guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Isn't it interesting that we're reading and preaching from the same psalm that Satan dug out when Jesus was going through 40 days of no water and no food. And he digs this statement out of the Bible. But any time the enemy quotes the Scripture, he's not quoting it accurately. He's distorting it. He's bringing a distortion of the Scripture to Jesus. What he's, what he's tempting Jesus to do, he's taking a, a passage of God's protection, and he says, you can take a shortcut to what you want to accomplish in life if you'll just do this. The enemy is a liar, and when he pulls out a passage of the Bible, it's to throw you off. It is not to bring any benefit to you. It is to appeal to a baser desire in your life. And Jesus' reply was what? Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. He really didn't argue with him. He just said, that's not what that scripture means. (laughs) You're misquoting it there, buddy. It's not what it means. It means that as you're following the purpose of God, the angels are there to guard you, not to catch you when you throw a risk at self-exaltation. Jump off of this cliff. Angels will crab you, and everybody will say, ooh and awe about you. This was the temptation that he was giving to Jesus, and he would not have any of it. Verse 13, you will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent, Because he loves me, here's another qualifying statement in verse 14. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him, I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. The very thing that meant danger to you is the very thing you're going to step on. The things that frighten you and bring insecurity to you, the Lord will give you the capacity as you love him to step on the very things that try to make you stumble. 
this is a personal thing. God is personal here, isn't he? Because he loves me, because you love me, the Lord says, I will rescue him. I will rescue you. This is his word for us. Because you love me, I will rescue you. God is really saying, I have your back. When you, can you get any better than that? God has our back. Verse 15. Yeah, I'm working all the way through the rest of it. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. And that's the promise that you will... It's not a promise that you won't encounter trouble. Just like Jesus saying, two men built a house. One built it on what he said. The other one built it on his own thoughts. He didn't say a storm doesn't come against the house that is built on his word. He just says that house will survive the storms. And sometimes when we're in a storm, we might feel like we're, we're out of the will of God because we're encountering opposition. We're encountering hardship. He's never promising. He's actually telling them, I will be with him in those places. I will be with you. We, we all know that loving God and serving God may indeed make us have trouble and encounter problems. But he says, I'm going to be with you there. And it concludes with this wonderful promise that with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. I will display my salvation in him. But here's the statement I want you to hear very closely. This psalm is not for all believers. The psalm is not for all believers. When you think about it, this psalm is not for all believers. Why did I say that? Because you have to go back to the first two verses. The first verse, as well as the second verse, qualifies the rest of the psalm. And it says this, whoever dwells in the secret place, the shelter of the Most High, will abide or rest in the Almighty. I will say of the Lord. Now, in those two verses, three terms reference God. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High. Most High was a term for a king, one who sits elevated above everybody else. Will rest in the shadow of of the Almighty. The word is Shaddai. You might have heard the song, El Shaddai. The, the word for the mightiness of God. I will say of the Lord, and if you see that word, and it's all in, it's not in capitals there, but it should be. I will say of the Lord, capital, all caps, L-O-R-D. When it's like that in the Old Testament, Lord with smaller case after the L, it's Adonai. So to distinguish Adonai, which is like the, the Greek word kurios, Lord, Master, when it's in caps, it means Jehovah. It is the way the translators distinguish between Adonai and Jehovah. So they, they wrote it differently so we would know. This is him saying that the covenant-keeping God, Jehovah is revealed when he is in relationship with people and his covenant relationship with Adam and Eve on down through Abraham. It is the Covenant-keeping Lord, the Lord God, Jehovah God. 
I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. This is a qualifying statement for the rest of the psalm. It's those who dwell. The word actually means to go and sit down and stay there and remain there and live there. Those who live in the shelter, the secret place of the Most High. Those who make fellowship and communion. And and that's the only word I could come up with to title this the Psalm of Communion, the Communion Psalm. Because all the rest of these powerful promises go back to verse 1. It's this residence that we have with the Lord. El Shaddai. You know, Psalm 22, Psalm 23, Psalm 24. Psalm 24 is kind of interesting. It says, lift up your gates and be ye lifted up your everlasting doors in the king of glory. Who is this king of glory? You remember those words? Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, Shaddai. The Lord who is strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle, in your struggle. The Lord that's mighty in your struggle. In the confrontations that you find yourself in, not necessarily with people, but with in a spiritual, emotional place of struggle. It's the mightiness of God. I will say of that God, that Lord, you are, the Lord is my refuge. You are my refuge. You are my fortress. This becomes very personal here. I will say of the Lord, you are my refuge, my fortress, my God. I trust you. This is for those who keep close fellowship with the Lord through the course of the day. I'm not talking about being a mystic all day and, and you know, kind of drifting out and not doing your job. I'm just saying when we're doing our task, when we're about our business, when we're about our day, that we treat that as unto the Lord. Whatever we put our hands to do is kind of like this. I want to honor God in how I do this. I want to do this at the very highest level of effectiveness and devotion as I can do. A couple of notes here. I liken this. Let me give you this kind of analogy. Because like, like most men on the interstate, you set your cruise control at... what everybody else is doing, right? (laughs) Oh, I'll just pull in between these two people. Surely they're not going to pull all of us over because for men, it is like we got to get there. We got to get there fast. And oh, was that an exit? I'm sorry, I just, is that an exit? Was that a rest area? But really and truly, life can be like this, this cruise control going down the interstate And God becomes like the rest area. That we pull off the busyness of life and just take a break and talk to him a little bit and fellowship with him and get back on the interstate, set the cruise control, and just go down the highway as fast as we can. And that is not the person that this reference. That's the person that stops at a rest area builds a sense of the presence there around them and says, we're going we're gonna to stay in a restful way all the way through this trip. 
We're going to stay in the presence of God, not just momentarily. We're going to walk this out. And it's also about being connected and staying connected. After I preached the uh, first service in this year, someone said, why don't you uh, give people an idea, like practical ideas about how to put those priorities in your life? So I thought about it, and I brought my notebook that I went and got. Now, I'm a notebook person. I have notebooks everywhere. They need to be kind of like in some kind of order. But start writing down what your day's like. And one of the things you can do is just at the end of the day, write down how your day went. And you say, well, I don't want to write that down. <laughs> write it down in such a way, says, how, is there anything I could have done that those moments that I really don't like my, the way my day went, is there anything I could have done to minimize its effect on me, its negative effect on me, or could I have started the day differently? Could I really, instead of being the effect of my day, why don't I be the causative factor in my day? Why don't I be at the front end to say, this is what my day, I want my day to be, and be intentional? I was with someone recently, and the praise team can come up. I was with someone recently, and um, they were telling me about the aggravation. It's no one here, by the way. Their aggravation of their wife and their children, grown children, not responding to their phone calls, his phone calls, and being frustrated, especially when they say, I'm paying for them to have a cell phone. And I'm wondering, I pay you to have a cell phone so that I can reach you. Now think about that. How many times does God want to connect to us? But we have our connection on mute. And he paid for you and me to have access to him. He paid dearly for him to talk to you, to talk to me. And we've got our headphones on with noise going on, and we can't, we don't hear him. We're occupied, we're busy. Is anybody in this place, don't raise your hand, is anybody that would say, every day just seems like it just overwhelms me. And the busyness of everything, it just seems like I I don't have a moment to catch my breath. And I really think that that probably describes how life is for a lot of people. But that's not the life of a Psalm 91. To chart your day to be able to say, Lord, you are my refuge, my fortress, my God. I trust you. During our time of worship, I mean, I'm, I'm old. I'm old because I remember eight tracks. And I loved my eight track with Andre Crouch. And it broke on me. And if you remember, eight tracks were not meant to be opened. But I opened it. And I damaged it. And I took eight millimeter film splicing tape, 
Some of you need to look that up on Google so you'll know what that is. Because that was our movie. How we made movies is eight millimeters. And I spliced that thing back, taped it all up with scotch tape, and it played. I just had to press for the next track. But it reminded me of a song. Well, I love Andre Crouch. This service reminded me of a song. How can I say thanks for the things you have done for me? When we're singing that bridge on blessed assurance, it's like, how can I tell you? How can I express to you what you mean to me and what you've done for me? I don't have words. I don't have vocabulary. Only my soul longs to communicate with him. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. Here's why I want us to finish this. I want us to look at this psalm and say, Psalm 91, I want to be a Psalm 91 man. I want to be that man that dwells in the shelter, the secret place of the Most High. Or the, the women here, I want to be a Psalm 91 woman. I want to dwell. I want to live. I want to remain in that secret place, that Shekinah place in between the cherubim wings where the veil was ripped so that we could be where the glory of God is. What Moses is saying is that he's not looking for people who are in the outer courts, but he's looking for Simeons and Annas who wants to go as close to the presence of God as they possibly can get and listen to what God is saying to them and not be surprised when he tells you something prophetic. You will see with your own eyes the Messiah. He didn't get that the day he arrived at that temple court. He got that because he had been at the temple court. And God had revealed to that old man, you're not going to die until you lay eyes on Israel's Messiah. Would you stand with me? And here's what I want you to do this morning. I want you to be able to come and kneel and say, Lord, I submit myself to be a Psalm 91 man. We're 28 days into January, 28 days into 2018. But I don't feel like I live in your presence like I need to. But I want to give it my all. I want my life to be in your presence, in the shadow of the Almighty. When you're in the shadow of something, you're in the presence of that. To be in the presence of the King of glory, the one mighty in battle. Or you can kneel where you're at, but I really want you to do something today about tangibly, intentionally saying, I submit myself, Lord. Today to be a, a man who wants to dwell and will dwell with your help, 
help me know how to dwell in your presence. Show me what that means for me. It might be different for all of us here, but show me, Lord, what that means for me. I know what it means for me. I know the things that I need to do in the mornings. I know how I need to finish my day. I know that. And with his help, I'm constantly employing more things, more more steps for me to be that person. I'm not there yet, but I want to get there. And if anyone else in this room wants to get there with me, would you just come and kneel around the front here and just submit yourself? I will say you are my fortress. You are my shelter. You are my God. And you, Lord, I trust you. I trust you for my family. I trust you for my doubts. I trust you for my my hurt. I trust you, Lord, for my disappointments. I trust you, Lord, to help me to know how to handle situations that I'm at a loss. Show us your ways, Lord. Show us your ways, Lord. Or you may kneel where you're at. In Jesus' name.